Good morning. Welcome to episode two of Robes Nor Strobes. We are filming out in the wild, so to speak. Um, not in the podcasting studio, so using an iPhone podcasting app. Hopefully the quality of the audio is not completely eardrum shattering. Um, this episode is entitled, pretty straightforward, We're All Seeking Perfection. Um, this is something I've been considering for quite a while. And I think as I go through some of these things, it'll be pretty obvious. Um, and personally, I, it kind of culminated in a very strong personal, uh, conviction of sort of the crown jewel of this perfection that we seek. Um, so we're all seeking perfection. Um, and I, I don't just, uh, keep this or restrain this or restrict this just to the church. I think this is the American culture at large. We are seeking perfection with, uh, politicians, with a church. We are seeking perfect skin uh, we're looking for the perfect date. I mean, you think about all of the, you know, dozens and dozens of seasons of Bachelor. Um, we're, you know, we have this, we've set up this ideal of a perfect date or a perfect relationship or a perfect engagement or a perfect whatever. Um, we are seeking perfect bodies. I mean, all you have to do is get on Instagram and, you know, search the the fitness hashtag there is no shortage of supply of males and females, uh, both being very dedicated to pursuing a perfect body via fitness. Um, we're seeking perfection across the board. Think about it with baseball, a perfect game. Um, every now and then you'll hear, you know, it was a perfect round of golf, um, you move into the philosophical realm and we're seeking something perfect, whether it's, you know, capitalism versus socialism or Jordan Peterson versus Andrew Tate um, versus, you know, some other uh, social pontificator putting forth a philosophy that is supposed to be the end all to philosophies. Um, I remember back in the day they had the perfect push-up bar. Um, that was a thing where you're trying to do the perfect push-up, just normal push-ups were not, uh, they were not good enough anymore. We had to have the perfect push-up. Um, just, it goes, it goes on and on. You, you look at the social media filters that we have available um, you're trying to give a, a, a perfect filter for our photos. Um, Radiohead, you go, man, this is a long list. I mean, you think about Radiohead, the song, I'm a creep. Um, I'm a creep. I want a perfect body. I want a perfect soul. And if you haven't heard the chorus version of that for the social network movie soundtrack, I highly recommend you go listen to it. It's, it's quite beautiful the way that they arranged that. Um, 
I want a perfect body. I want a perfect soul. I think we've had four movies, maybe no, maybe three of the pitch perfect movies where it's the singing choir and they are trying to be the perfect choir and hit the perfect pitches. Um, Pretty Little Liars. I, I saw this. Um, where did I see this? I think on the Vizio TV for whatever show that's on. You know, they have like the banner of the billboards promoting different shows. And I, I saw one that said perfect or Pretty Little Liars, the perfectionists. Um, I guess it's like a spinoff of another show called Pretty Little Liars. Uh perfect ending to a perfect day. There's food, right? You go to the health food section and there's perfect bars. Someone's trying to, to create the perfect energy bar mix of carbohydrates and fats and energies and whatever vitamins or vitamins. If you're from the UK. Um, and I think where I felt this, the, the most was my wife and I watched a movie called The Black Swan, which I think is like over 10 years old. Um, and it may have won Natalie Portman an Oscar. Um, it's a dark movie. It's it's dark and some of the content is uh, extremely non-Christian. Uh, it's very uh, sexualized. There's a lot of um, erotica, I guess is probably the right word in it. Um, but What's fascinating about that movie is Natalie Portman's pursuit of perfection. And she even says in there at the very end, she said, I felt it perfect. It was perfect. And the entire movie, she's sacrificing pretty much her entire life, uh, her social life, her, she, she centered her entire life around being a perfect ballerina and the movie culminates in this, you know, crescendo, this dramatic scene. And at the end, the director of the play, I don't know what you call a director of a ballet, um, the ballet director, whoop-de-doo, um, he comes running over to her and is like, that was amazing. And she says, I felt it perfect. It was perfect. Um, extremely... poignant insight into this obsession with perfection. Um, And so I've been asking myself, okay, that makes sense with the world. You know, we're trying to, if you're not a Christian, you're trying to pursue that perfection. Um, But it's interesting to me that it seems to be innately built into the human like the human experience is across the board everyone is seeking some form of perfection whether it's a philosoph a philosophical structure a political system a physical appearance personal tastes um all of these things are driven by this almost craving for perfection. And as I, as I thought about this and I I thought about, okay, how is this thinking kind of making its way through the church, making its way through American evangelicalism? Um, and this is where I felt really convicted because I bought this 
what I have now kind of labeled and categorized as a lie. I bought this lie that there is such a thing as a perfect calling. And you go, what are you talking about? That's, that's what Christianity's all about. Christianity's all about finding your perfect calling. Um, and, and I think where this has influenced the church is we've set up an idol of calling, an idol of a perfect calling. It's not enough that we trust the Lord and live day to day trusting in him. We have to have this sense of purpose found in finding or believing or investigating and finally discovering what God's calling on our life is. And I really think that this has become a huge idol in the church over the last 25 years. Um, and this, this is what I wrote down, whether or not it resonates with you. Um, I said the idol of calling. I have been wholeheartedly pursuing this idol for over 25 years. Pursuit of purpose, passion, legacy, your best life, a sanctified brand, building a name or ministry for yourself. Yet these pursuits are null and void because God will not share his glory with another. Then I said, I repent of pursuing the idol of calling. Please reveal to me my pursuit of you. Show me how to pursue a relationship with you, your glory, your pleasure, your riches, your kingdom. Jesus, be my friend, counselor, guide, savior, king, God, deliverer, portion, all in all. And I said this, when Jesus becomes your God, instead of your personal genie to unlock your calling, and I put in parentheses because I think this is at least how I have interpreted and seen it play out in a lot of circles, i.e. your competitive edge in the Christian marketplace, that's when your soul will find rest and you'll realize it's not your work, but Christ's perfect final work on the cross that ultimately matters. Now, like I said, I don't know if that resonates with anyone else. Um, But I, I talked, I don't know if I talked, I probably complained a lot about it on the Chief End podcast about you know, feeling like I was sold a bill of goods with some used car salesmen masquerading as pastors. And the pitch was what you are doing that is, as long as it's outside of full-time Christian ministry, it's inferior. So if you are not doing full-time Christian ministry, any activity outside of that is inferior. And I think that I get the sense that that thinking may be a strong con- a strongly contributing a strong contributing factor to the question that I posed in the first episode which is why can I make a list of dozens of friends who 
have no, have zero interest in, in knowing God or knowing Jesus. And I think so much of it can come down to this pitch that was delivered to them, which was you need to find your perfect calling and anything short of that is is inferior. It's not going to cut it. And I know that I bought into that. And when I bought into that, it set up this false expectation that there was going to be some sort of aha, divine eureka moment of you have embraced your calling, you found your calling, the light bulb has gone on, um, the, the, the clouds have split, the sunbeams shine down on you, and angels sing hallelujah choir while they're looking through the clouds at you. Um, and you go, man, maybe, maybe you just are a little bit too special. Maybe you just think that you're a little too special. You think too highly of yourself. Um, and I've talked about this in the past. I mean, even the songs in that era in the nineties, it was, you know, delirious used to sing at the top of their lungs. I'm going to be a history maker. Um, the, the youth group movement back in the day, it was all about recruiting world changers. So you can, you can excuse, or you can at least understand why young people, teenagers, 20 somethings might feel like discovering this amazing calling that would make them a world changer would get deeply embedded in their soul. And what I have observed over the years is when that promise, when reality showed that that, that used car salesman pitch wasn't going to materialize, I think people felt disenfranchised. And I think they felt betrayed. And I think they felt tricked. And I think a lot of them just simply said, you know, this, this calling that was pitched to me as being perfect, like I was going to find this perfect calling and I was going to be a world changer and a history maker. And it didn't really work out. Well, I'm just going to go look for a different perfect. And I think that's what happened. And you go, well, okay, whatever. I mean, maybe you just say whatever. I I think the real mistake here, and and this is where I want to focus our attention. The real mistake is that the only perfection that we can set our eyes and hopes and hearts and minds on is the perfection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of perfect. I mean, the scripture says, in whom there is no spot or blemish, the perfect Lamb of God. And I think this is where evangelicalism has made a grave mistake. They have gone from, they they have departed least in the 25 some years I've been around it, they have departed from Christ as the focal point to peripheral things 
being the focal point. And we have, instead of looking solely to Christ and his perfection and his finished work on the cross and his beauty and his glory, all of the things that make up Christ, we have then diverted all of that attention to ourselves. And we have said, oh, Christ has now become the catalyst for me to find a different perfect. And, and I can't overstate how damaging this is to the church because it's created a sanctified idol that as an institution, we have set up and are pursuing and worshiping. And it's demoralizing to the soul because the soul was made for communion with the perfect God. The soul was made to commune with perfection in the form of a vibrant relationship with God. And yet we are giving that away under the guise of needing to find a new perfect. And, and I think that it is just tremendously sad because there are thousands and thousands of people who have felt some inkling towards knowing God, having a relationship with God. But instead of marveling at Jesus, we set about I don't even know what the right word is. We set about on almost a blind mission trying to find something more perfect that we can muster up, that we can find. And I just think that we make a huge mistake when we do that. And and I think that when we do that, the disappointment we feel is substantial because we're not fixing our eyes on Jesus, but we're, we're looking to ourselves and trusting in ourselves. And the scripture says, cursed is the man who trusts in man. And so there's two sermons that I think uh, I'd like you to read that I think might um, add some more context to this and maybe encourage your soul uh, further is the first one is, well, they're both Spurgeon sermons. So if you're into the these and the thous and the theys and the old English, then I would go ahead and, and look at those. Um, but the first one is on on a, uh, Proverbs 20 verse four, which says the slugger does not plow when it's cold and therefore he will not reap during harvest. And Spurgeon in his, in his really amazing way, uh, 
he takes all of that and applies it in a spiritual capacity. And he says, he gives a, he gives a very brief, uh, cursory treatment to, Hey, this applies in the physical world. Like if you, if you don't plow, um, you know, physically you're not going to reap because you will starve. You'll beg, you'll beg at harvest time if you've, if you refuse to work. So there, there is that element. Um, but then he goes on to say, goes through all the litany of excuses. Oh, the church is cold. Um, other Christians are cold. They're bad imitators of Christ. Therefore I refuse to plow spiritually. And he says, if you adopt that posture, when harvest comes, i.e. your death, eternity, you'll be a beggar. Um, and I think that he's really on to something there. And I think that that's what a lot of, a lot of my friends who have kind of, you know, expressed zero interest in knowing the Lord, they have looked around and said, Hey, that the, the promise of calling the promise of finding a fulfillment in a purpose in life or a calling in ministry or, or the promise of me becoming an influential world changer did not materialize. Therefore, the calling stuff must be lame and not true. It's cold. Therefore, I'm not going to plow anymore. And the other one is on uh, Philippians 3.10, where Paul says that I may know him. And I think that that's how I would summarize what I'm trying to get at here with we're all seeking perfection. And I already stated it. Christ is the culmination of perfection. He is the embodiment of perfection. And if we take our desire for perfection and we, and we divert it or exert it in any other capacity other than knowing Christ, that desire is going to be greatly disappointed. We're going to be extremely disappointed in that. Including, quote unquote, sanctified callings. And I think that, that's the tricky part, right? Is it's, oh, well, I feel like th- that calling was sanctified. It was, it had the stamp of approval from church leaders. My, my desire or my, my answering the call to be a history maker inside the church, it had the spiritual stamp of authority on it. Therefore, it must be God given. And I think we have to remind ourselves that God is not a respecter of persons. God does not share his glory with another. And we are incredibly remiss, you can look that up, what it means, to conclude anything other. And I think what makes this doubly difficult is it's so easy to see exceptions to this rule. So for every, I don't know, I really have no clue, for every, we'll just say for every 50, it's probably way higher, for every 50 young people who tried to answer the call of being a world changer and were gravely disappointed in that. And for every 50 of those, probably way higher, there is one superstar that emerges. There's a, there's a, some sort of celebrity pastor figure that emerges and claims the status of being the poster child for the one who 
answered the call to be a history maker and a world changer. And I think all that does is it just demoralizes more people because they conclude, oh man, I really must have backslidden or I really must have not heard God's voice because that person assumed the throne of celebrity Christianity and I didn't, therefore I must not have been approved or called or insert whatever. And so then they take up the megaphone and they continue to promote that message that you can find that Christ is now, instead of Christ being the end all to perfection, he he has become the catalyzing power for your own perfection. And I don't think there's anything more insidious and spiritually poisonous than that message permeating the church. And sadly, I think that's what has permeated the church. So in order to combat that, we don't need to stand on the rooftops and scream down these pastors so much as we just individually need to recognize that our soul was created for perfect union with God himself. You go, oh, that's so mysterious and weird. I don't know what that means. I don't know exactly what it means either, but I know that there's a lot of people who've written a lot of stuff about this. If you want to go super old school, John Owen has a book, uh, a book. It's, it's quite longer than a book on the communion, communion with God. And Jonathan Edwards spoke, wrote a lot about this, about the soul finding its nourishment with God, putting our faith in Christ and somehow miraculously through the indwelling spirit, we are able to find a relationship with the Lord God Almighty. Um, And it feeds our soul and it nourishes our soul. Um, So that's what I would want to encourage you um, in, is, is not so much getting angry or you know, getting angry at pastors who might have pitched a product of inferior value. Um, But instead, look at your own heart and ask yourself the question, am I plowing even though the church environment I might have been in was cold? And when I say plowing, I don't mean volunteering free labor to a, a celebrity pastor or you know, any of the stuff that we typically associate with, you know, quote unquote ministry, I'm asking if you're plowing in the sense of, are you spending time in prayer and in reading God's word to find soul connection with the eternal God? That's what I'm asking. And if this, if the disappointment you felt from not attaining whatever calling you thought you might attain or notoriety for that calling. Give up that pursuit because it's inferior. It's not going to satisfy. It's going to leave you empty. It's going to leave you hollow. It's going to leave you really, really burned out. You know, when the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good, it's kind of getting at this, the spiritual mystery involved with, seeking God and communing with God. When Paul says that I may know him and the power of the, of his resurrection, he's getting at 
the soul communing with God's presence. And it also puts the focus not on being a world changer, but on being a death defeater. (laughs) And I laugh um, because I like putting, I like doing death defeater uh, words that start with the same letter. But the thing that, the thing that baffles me is the message of Christianity is death is defeated. Paul didn't say that I may know him so that I can grow my earthly ministry, that I may know him so that I can get notoriety for my service. No, he said, so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The entire focus is on the defeating of death, the resurrection And for all the things that John Piper does that kind of irritates me, one thing he said several years ago that has always stayed with me is he said at one point that Christians should be known, they shouldn't be considered weird because of, you know, the way we dress or the way, you know, we do homeschool or whatever it was. He said we should be considered peculiar because we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. He goes, that's what, that's what the world should think Christians are weird for. It's like, we, we literally actually believe that someone died and then rose again. And amen to that, because that's the power of the gospel. And it's woven throughout, throughout scripture, Old Testament into New Testament, this whole concept of dead people becoming alive spiritually in this life and physically in the rebirth, the second birth, the, the, the rising from the dead. I probably convoluted those terms. The, what must a man do to be saved? He needs to be born again. That's the spiritual rebirth, the monergistic regeneration. And then there'll be the bodily resurrection where we are given, Paul says, incorruptible bodies. So, you know, if you, if, if we, I keep saying you, if we continue to put the focus on a physical thing, like a physical calling, a a physical manifestation of, um, some tangible thing of, oh, I have X number of followers on social media or my church has grown by X percent or, you know, whatever you want to throw in there. If we continue to do that, we're going to continue to be disappointed because that's not how that's not how God designed our souls. He didn't design our souls to be accountants. He had designed our souls to commune with him and enjoy his presence. So again, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Eternity in mind. Not a, not a short-term ego boost, because we have the audacity to go be a world changer or a history maker. So what this means practically is probably turning off some streaming, probably turning off some Netflix, probably turning off some Hulu or some Paramount Plus or some HBO Max or whatever else you're streaming, probably turning off, shutting down the Instagram scroll. And it means likely that you need to dedicate some time to individually and personally and privately seeking what Paul the Apostle said, that I might know him, 
and the power of his resurrection. And, and I don't, there's no miraculous thing for that. It's, you know, it's quiet, be still and know that I am God. So there's no secret formula to this. There's a lot of straightforward scriptures that you can set your heart and your mind and your soul on. And Psalm 1, blessed is the man who meditates on God's word day and night. He's like a tree planted by the waters. So I think we need more of that. I think we need more of meditating on Christ as the embodiment of perfection. And then whatever we go out to do becomes, I don't want, I'm not going to say secondary. I'm just going to say it becomes, it becomes fueled with a renewed inner man. We, we, we've been then made new in the sight of God. And there's something powerful about a renewed inner man going out into the world versus how do I want to say that versus someone pursuing renewal through attaining certain accolades in ministry, if that makes sense. So hopefully, hopefully that all makes sense. Um, seek Christ, take your desire for seeking and obtaining perfection and place it squarely on the pursuit of Christ and on the pursuit of knowing God the Father. And I think that's where soul satisfaction lies. I think that's where it lies. So hopefully all that stuff makes sense. Again, those... Uh, Spurgeon sermons, Psalm, no, not Psalm, um, Proverbs 20, verse four, I think it was called a sluggard's reproof. Um, and then the other one was on Philippians three ten that I might know him. My soul was greatly encouraged through those, uh, sermons. And, and I hope that yours would be as well. Um, again, if you know, Anybody who needs to be encouraged in the faith, you can either direct them to this podcast or you can just personally tell them, hey, fix your eyes on Jesus <laughs> because that's all they need to do. They don't need another podcast or another how-to. They just need to fix their eyes on Jesus. Um, so pretty straightforward. And and I pray that you have the boldness and encouragement and personal uh, experience with that in order to uh, boldly share that. Um the, the last thing I'll say here is, is the danger, the downside to pursuing perfection in anything other than Christ is that they embody what the Old Testament talks about. They're broken cisterns, which cannot hold any water. And that's key, right? We were looking to try to fill up these cisterns, these, these buckets um, to hold water, but they're broken. And so they, they don't satisfy us in the way in which we are hoping. Um, 
And I think where this ultimately leads, if you, if you refuse to turn your eyes on Jesus and, and you resist Paul's admonition that, that I might know him, I think where it leads, and this is where I've seen some of these people end up, some, some of my friends, is it ends up in total nihilism. Um, because they conclude that they, they missed perfection. Their expectations for perfection were missed and disappointed. And everything that they sought or touched, which promised perfection, was broken. So oftentimes they just conclude, ah, screw it. Let's let whatever happen. Let's let our freak flag fly. Let's let, let's just, what is, what is, uh, Ecclesiastes say? Let, let us eat, drink, eat, sleep, and be merry, drink, sleep, and something because tomorrow we'll die. Um, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Let us just kind of live for the day. Carpe diem it up. And then we seek to redefine perfect as something else. And, and this is where we get the phrase, it's a perfect mess. And I think this is what's bothered me so much about the evangelical language is that, you know, for years they've talked about, oh, it's just messy. Life is just messy. And one, I think that's a little too lighthearted of treatment for being dead in your trespasses and sins. I think being dead in your trespasses and sins is a little bit more severe than just being messy. But I think it's this response to a betrayed perfection. And, and that language started to appear 2008, 2009, 2010, a lot, where I saw a lot of the guys that started a ministry in the mid to late 90s who are now 30, and their expectations for perfection were betrayed. And so their response to it was, oh, it's just messy. Life's just messy. And so then that messy becomes, oh, a perfect mess. Please, for the love of God, don't cheapen actual perfection down to the realms of just being messy. A perfect mess. That is doing a huge disservice to the perfection that is Christ. So, those are my thoughts. Don't numb your desire for perfection by accepting by redefining perfection to just be a perfect mess. But fight to fight. Is that even the right word? I think it is. Yeah. Put on the full armor of God. We run the race with endurance. Um, strive, seek, Exhort yourself, stir up within you a desire for good works to seek the embodiment of perfection in Christ. That, that is the entire point of this podcast. Christ is the embodiment of perfection. And it's him that we need to pursue. All right. I think that is it. His followers are not perfection. 
callings are not perfection, only Christ. And last thing I'll share, this is truly the last thing. Uh, a speaker I heard a couple months ago was talking about, um, he loves the band U2. And he went to this music festival where there was a cover band for U2. And he was super excited until he realized that the cover band for U2 was terrible. They were terrible. And he said what he realized is that the bad cover band didn't make him hate U2. It just made him not pursue the cover band. And, I, and he said that's similar in some ways to Christianity. He said, because some of Christ's followers are the equivalent of a bad U2 cover band, it shouldn't make us hate Christ and turn away from Christ. It should simply make us realize, okay, well, I'm not a huge fan of that particular cover band. And I thought that was a, it's probably an incomplete analogy on some levels, but I also thought it had a lot of wisdom packed into it as far as keeping the main thing, the main thing. (laughs) I love cliched phrases. (laughs) So keep the main thing, the main thing, look to Christ, trust in Christ, seek to develop a soul that yearns for knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. And your soul will be satisfied. See you on the next episode. Have a good day. Bye.